They had wonderful, rich lives before this happened to them. And all of that is still in there. And we want to share that in those moments of clarity that come with being a caregiver. Hi, I'm Bobby. I was a longtime family caregiver. I'm now a certified caregiving consultant, a certified caregiving educator, and I've written two books for caregivers. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two. Well, we all know that laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Now, you know I never forget your wine, honey. (laughs) You know, in the past, we uh, talked about how we were on our own caring for dad with no support. And um, we've also talked about how you speak about how important it is to have a care team in place and tips on how to form a care team. Well, it's always good if you can have family help you. So that brings us to today's guest. He's the CEO of Home Care Association of Louisiana since 1998. He is also a nursing professor, a family caregiver, a radio host, and a self-described relationship person. He was recently invited to serve as an adjunct member of Rutgers University Institute for Health, Health Policy, and Aging Research. He has taught doctoral, master's, and undergrad courses in health policy, ethical and legal aspects of health care, community-based health care, health systems innovation, and scientific writing. This past February, he was invited to testify before the U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging to discuss home health and rural areas of the United States. We are very pleased to welcome Dr. Warren Bear. Warren, welcome to our show. Welcome. Thanks, Bobby and Mike. I'm excited to be with you. It's a beautiful morning here in South Louisiana and uh, got in a 10-mile bike ride this morning. I've already been out in my garden for low quiet times. So it's, uh, it's great to be with the two of you. Thanks for the invitation. You know, with, with your background as a, as a home health nurse and, and teaching nursing and working with, uh, you know, people in, with, with dementia and your family experience, I know that you're going to have a lot to offer with our listeners today. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating was when you shared with us the size of your family and, and how everybody came together. Would you share something about that with our listeners today? Yeah, here in South Louisiana, um, big families, are, we're, we're just sort of one generation away from very large families. My mom and dad uh, were extraordinary parents to 10 of us. I'm the oldest, and my wife is one of eight. So in both cases, when our parents began to age and deal with some of the issues that come along with aging, in my wife's case, her parents both had cancers they dealt with. And in the case of my father, he had dementia for seven years. In both cases, those very large families came together and provided the care team that you alluded to a little bit earlier in your introduction. In our experience, not everybody could spend the night with uh, mom to help when dad's started wandering at home, but we could all do something. And besides the 10 of us children, uh, and and in South Louisiana back then, people didn't wander too far from home. So all 10 of us lived within 20 minutes. Plus we had 10 spouses, two sisters-in-law who were very involved in mom and dad's care on a daily basis. And then at the time, about 30 grandkids. So as a result of that extraordinary cadre of caregivers, 
uh, over seven years with dementia, dad didn't spend one night in an institutional setting. And, and that for us as a family was an important thing. I know not everybody has that choice, but having the whole family involved, including the grandkids, even the younger ones, uh, made it an experience that even in the throes of dementia, on occasion, we found joy in that experience. I can imagine that with all of these people involved in there, there's lots of material for an excellent book on what your family did. I have to ask you, though, with so many um, people involved and so many personalities involved, was somebody designated as the decision maker to make any final choices that needed to be made as far as health care or anything like that? Yeah, that, that is a wonderful question, Bobby, um, because with 10 of us, we all are pretty much individuals and all have our own different personalities and styles. Um, while mom asked me to be sort of the executor and to help with some of the issues around the legal aspect. And with my being a nurse, um, I sort of led the conversations. Uh, But I had the good fortune that even back then I was self-aware enough to recognize that no matter what experiences I had had professionally and career-wise, I was still the big brother. And so what we tried to do is we had a couple of formal meetings um, where we sort of just opened the floor for some conversation, one of which was just the siblings and mom and dad. Um, And even though dad had dementia at the time, he still knew he was the patriarch of the family. And some of the conversations that we had related to what steps we might take, uh, dad engaged in the conversation. And even though his comments were not pertinent to the conversation we were having, he knew his role in the family and still knew he was dad. And we knew that as well. So we treated his comments with dignity and respect and listened to what he had to say. That's awesome. Um, yeah, there, there were a couple of uh, experiences where, uh, you know, I was called in, for example, when a hospice nurse felt that there was some um, concern about the medications dad was giving. Uh, dad's sister, who was in her 80s, was still very spry and active, and she actually came over to help mom on a regular basis. And she felt like maybe mom wasn't giving dad the medications right. So the next thing I know is the hospice social worker is calling me, asking me to be present to visit with the home health nurse. And um, so I was there at the appointed time, and two hours later, I get a phone call. Two hours after the appointed time, I get a phone call saying the nurse couldn't come because the previous night, one of her hospice patients had died. Um, the, the experience of our family engagement, involvement, and who was responsible for what sort of depended on what the needs were. In that particular case, I was um, lovingly occasionally referred to the family member from hell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was me. Yeah, that was me on that particular morning because, you know, the hospice administrator said, well, would it help if I told you that one of her patients died the night before? I said, I've been a home health nurse for 20 years. Having a patient die in the middle of the night never prevented me from being able to pick up the phone and call somebody. So back to your question about whether, how, how the, the personalities, essentially, um, you know, I guess mom and dad deserve some credit is that we all generally uh, are able to collaborate well. And uh, if, if somebody feels a need to be in control at that particular moment, the rest of us seem to be okay to let them do that. Oh, good. 
So you didn't experience the old too many cooks or, or it was a rare occasion when too many cooks. It was a very rare occasion, but one that's memorable is, you know, my day job, as you indicated in my bio, is I run the Association for Home Health Agencies across the state of Louisiana and uh, had been doing that at the time for almost 20 years. Um, long story short, uh, my sister called one morning when I was in the middle of a meeting and I sent a note saying, I'll check back with you later today. I've got back-to-back meetings. So when I called later that afternoon, she said, well, dad needs home health. And since you didn't have time to respond to my call, I went ahead and selected one on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember my ego really getting in the way at that point because I run the association for home health agencies. I know all of these folks. And, but my sister took it upon herself to make that decision. It is not one of my prouder moments with regards to the way that I responded. Um, and, and I think that as caregivers, we need to recognize on occasion that sort of thing can happen. Absolutely. And, and then to go back to recognizing that the long-term relationship is more important than any one incident. So I was able to ask forgiveness and we moved on from that. And, uh, and my dear sister is still a very dear sister. Now, you said that being the big brother, you kind of had the de facto in charge, if you will. But were there assignments doled out? You take care of the checking account. You take care of this. You take care of that. So different um, support members. Thanks for asking, Mike. We, we really didn't dole out assignments, but we, we in that meeting said, you know, who can do what? And when it came time to spend a night when dad was wandering, there were a couple of three of us who were able to do that. Uh, my sister and her husband uh, worked schedules that prevented them from doing that, but they said, we'll take care of the yard. And, you know, dad's been, been gone now since 2006, and they're still helping to take care of the yard for mom and dad. Um, two of the sisters-in-law were uh, uh, domestic engineers, so they'd get their husbands off to work in the morning, get the kids off to school, and then they would go and spend the day Uh, with mom and sometimes with dad's uh, 80-plus-year-old sister. And together, they were sort of dad's care team. Absolutely. Right. Uh, Everybody picked up something that they felt that they could do. And sometimes it was just a real gift for some of them to pick up the phone and call and check in on mom and have a conversation with her. Now, you mentioned some of the younger grandchildren were involved as well. And I think that is extremely helpful when you have multi-generation families um, to see how families work. And I remember when Mike's mother passed away and, and his dad was coming to live with us and uh, I was leaving my job in the corporate world and um, a number of people asked me, why would you do that? And I said, I'm setting an example for my children. <laughs> I love that. That's priceless. <laughs> because I fully expect I come from a long line of family caregivers, a big Irish family. And if somebody needs help, the family jumps in and helps. Um, And something that I frequently tell caregivers and people in some of the um, presentations that I do is if someone says, let me know if I can do something to help, you give them a job. And it could be like what you talked about, taking care of the yard or with Mike mentioned, taking care of the cars. It doesn't have to be right there in the home with, with the person that needs care, but there are a lot of things that can be done to take some of that pressure off. Getting the groceries done, cooking once a week. If you have three people cooking once a week, 
it's awesome. Um, and, and having that um, uh, different people contributing, like you said, it's not necessarily, can you spend the night, but can they could spend the day. And that was awesome because that's just as important. Now, Mike likes to joke that, um, you know, the reason that grandparents and grandchildren um, have such a special relationship is that they, they uh, share a common enemy. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, a lot of times grandchildren have very special relationships with their grandparents and, you know, just spending time with the young people can be very beneficial. Did you see that happening in, in your family? Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, not only did we have the extraordinary gift of the grandkids who are a little bit older engaging, uh, but even the babies, because, and, and by then, by this time we we're talking great grandchildren, you know, it, if, if one of the his dad's granddaughters uh, came in and had a new baby, well, the first place they went was to dad's bedside. Uh, at that time in the last year, he was bed and chair bound. And to see dad's eyes sparkle and light up as he held up that baby and just looked into their eyes. That was priceless. To be able to see when we visited uh, my daughter, uh, Brooke, who's 29 now, uh, Brooke has Down syndrome, and she's another reason that we're big into family caregiving. But, you know, there was a time when we walked into the house, and, uh, you know, my wife Ramona and I stopped, and we're visiting with my mom, and then we realized that, you know, we don't know where Brooke is, so we walked to the back of the house, and Brooke was sitting there on a bed with Dad. And the two of them were there together in silence. By that time, Dad wasn't talking much, but they were just experiencing that joy of being in one another's presence. Um, fast forward to the day that dad died. We were all at his bedside, and we can talk more about that later. But the, the, when, when the funeral home came to bring dad's body out, they didn't want to alarm the younger children who were in the house. Mom felt like that was part of life, too. And she wanted the children and grandchildren and greats to be there if they wanted to. So, you know, they had a sheet, but not covering dad's face. And one of the granddaughters says, Mom, where are they taking Papa? And she said, sweetheart, Papa is going to heaven, and we're going to see Papa when we get there. So fast forward 48 hours later, we're in the funeral home's waiting area, waiting for the doors to open for the family viewing, and this same four-year-old granddaughter is waiting at the door, just so excited, and she says, Mom, Mom, tell them open the doors. I want to go to heaven and see Papa. So... <laughs> We were going into the viewing area, but she was getting ready to see her papa again. And she uh -huh. just took for granted, well, if she was going to see papa, that must be heaven. That's a wonderful story. When our, when our daughter Kelly had, had a baby girl, uh, you know, Roger was living with us, and I would take him to their house to spend some time with her, and he loved holding the baby. As soon as we walked in the house, he wanted to hold the baby. So, um and I would find him kind of falling asleep and I'd watch and take the baby and he'd wake up and, you know, give me the baby. He even told um, our, our uh, son-in-law's mother, miss, miss, I hold the baby. This is how you hold the baby. So we took some pictures of him and lo and behold, I, I was showing him a picture of him holding this infant wrapped in this big pink blanket. And he looked at that and he looked at me and he said, that's me in that picture. And I said, yes, that's you. And he looked at it again and goes, happy Thanksgiving, big turkey. 
Now, our poor daughter thought, my baby's not a turkey. Oh, my goodness. But that's one of our favorite stories to share about those special moments. And, and how he used to light up with Ava. As a matter of fact, her name was the last thing he ever said. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, the special moments. Like you said, waiting for heaven. Now, your experience as a, as, as a home health nurse, I imagine that you have um, some precious moments to share uh, with that and also maybe some advice for some of our listeners on, you know, caring for someone with dementia. You have so much experience and so much knowledge. I think the, the word that you used a little earlier, um, relationships, is so very important. Um, in any aspect of our life, if we're able to build a trusting relationship, then we can get the work done in a fraction of the time at a fraction of the cost. And in relationship, um, you know, you alluded to Mike's appreciation for humor a little bit earlier. You know, essentially those relationships can help to make a difficult experience more joyful. Mm-hmm. So in the relationships between health professionals and the family caregiver. Uh, there is a give and take that needs to happen. And I'll tell you that as a health professional, uh, there are times when I was more self-aware and in a healthier place for the encounter with the family caregiver than I was at other times. We're human beings, and while we hope to bring our best self to the experience, I can tell those of you that are family caregivers, you're not always going to experience the health professional on their best day or at their best moment. So the challenge that we've got is the give and take of a relationship. The, the suggestion I would have is that, you know, if we take our relationships seriously and are able to recognize the give and take and the need to build trust, then the long-term relationship is going to be better. Uh, and, and to build trust, um, you know, we need to have good conversations. Uh, we need to be um, compassionately curious about that other person. Whether you are the professional caregiver as a nurse or a physician, um, wanting to know something more than just what's on the medical record and what the assignment is for that day is important. Uh, Patch Adams, who Robin Williams made famous when he did the movie, Patch Adams, I heard him speak a few times, and he said that his history and physical were incomplete until he sat at the dinner table with the patient and their family and had a meal in their home. Because at that point, he got to know more about them as human beings. I would say that's also true in the other direction. As a family caregiver, the relationship is better with that nurse or that physician or that social worker when we, as a family, get to know that professional better. And that runs contrary to what a lot of people have been taught over the years about those, those barriers that you need to keep from a standpoint of what's professional and what's personal. My experience has always been that I bring my best self to that relationship when people know who I am and know where I'm coming from. Uh, most of our interaction with the professionals when we had Roger in our home were very, very good. Um, there was only one where I just felt like this person didn't really understand 
what she was there for um, and um, did not try to find out who he was as a person. And, but other than that, I have to say our, our relationships were, were, were good. And, and that's going to be in any profession, but I really appreciate your saying that. Um, I try to even tell family caregivers, they, they, they had wonderful, rich lives before this happened to them. And all of that is still in there. And we want to honor that. And we want to share that in those moments of clarity that come with being a caregiver. That, that reminds me of um, an extraordinary commercial that Johnson & Johnson did um, about nursing. And essentially the, the video that they did showed an aging gentleman, African-American gentleman, um, in a hospital bed. And then as they panned back, he had a photo uh, at his bedside of him playing saxophone. And there was another photo of him with his wife um, maybe a 50th anniversary, and then another photo of their wedding day. And the family had been thoughtful enough to bring those things in so that he would have those things at the bedside. Um, and, and while they were important for the patient, they were more important for the professionals that were there. Uh, there's another video uh, montage that was done uh, that had to do with aging. And that video montage had um, a character who was, was an aging person. And then in each of the, the photo comparisons side by side, they were looking into a mirror and seeing themselves as a younger person. For example, one aging gentleman um, with, with gray hair um, was obviously very frail, was looking in the mirror and seeing himself as a veteran of World War II in his uniform. Those sorts of things give us an opportunity to help have a deeper appreciation, Bobby, as you said, for, for who that person was and, and what their life has meant. And I'll, I'll add something else that might be helpful even to the two of you. I was asked to do a, a, a bio for a, a group um, that I'm part of and I serve on the board, and they wanted everybody to get to know one another better. And, you know, a lot of these folks are professionals and positions of authority and responsibility. And they said, we don't want a resume. We want you to tell us a story. And you can do that story by either words, or you can use photos, or you can use maybe some aspects of things that you've collected that you take pictures of that are important to you. So what I did was to take a series of photos uh, because I'm a nature lover. And you, um, I love to get out to my favorite state park and spend time out there. I'm, I'm also a, a connector. Um, I love people and build relationships and collect friends everywhere I can. So another photo was related to that. I'm a grandfather of 12 grandkids. So there was a photo of all the 12 grandkids. Uh, you know, I've been married for 40 years. That's a very important part of my identity. So as we look at the, the role that you have as a family caregiver in trying to better connect that care recipient when you're their representative and advocate with health professionals. If you find a way to do something like that, and maybe it's simply putting together a one-page thing that's got a number of photos with a name of different things, different roles that that person played, it is one way to get an image in front of the health professionals 
that no longer can they think of that person as the one who's in 333, you know, who's got dementia. You know, that also reminds me of a situation where you have a family member who can't bring themselves to spend time with the person that needs care and say, it's too difficult for me to see him or her the way she is. I remember when he was fierce and strong, or I remember when she loved to dance. Well, we're the memory keepers. That's exactly the people that should be visiting who have those memories and, and can bring that back to them because those memories are in there. Right. And, and they're much more accessible than the memories of the other day or right. last week. And, and that'll bring that person back out and bring a, a, a time and a place of joy to that person for whatever period of time it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Cajun storyteller at heart. So anytime you say something, I'm thinking of a story. Uh, early in my home health nursing career, I got a phone call from down the street from where we live because my neighbors knew that I was a home health nurse. And the, the gentleman um, who was the grandfather, his family was all there, and he was in his final hours. So the nun who was helping them as a friend called and said, would you come down here and, and check in with him? So I went down just as a favor to say hello, to see how he was doing. And he had begun what we in nursing refer to as Shane Stokes respirations, the last respirations that may happen for hours or a day or mm -hmm. two, where you take a deep breath and then there is no breath for an uncomfortable period of time. And then there's another breath. So I was there and told the family that the end was drawing near. And they said, well, what should we do? And I said, well, you know, if there's an opportunity and you feel a need to um, ask forgiveness for something or offer forgiveness for something because maybe, you know, there's something he did and because he's not communicating, you can forgive him for something that maybe was, was harmful at one time. You can share memories. And in that Catholic tradition, you know, you could, you could all say the rosary together or do other things that we do um, as death nears. And they're in the home setting, so the grandkids were there and one of the grandsons was about nine. He didn't feel comfortable being in the room as his grandfather was dying. He went into the kitchen without anybody giving him this idea and drew and colored the most beautiful picture of his grandfather's four-poster bed with clouds and angels around the bed. Mm. That memory from gee 35 years ago still brings me to tears because of the connectedness of this nine or ten year old who realized no he couldn't be there at the bedside to tell his grandfather goodbye but he still needed to tell him goodbye absolutely yeah. absolutely you know warren the stories that you are sharing send beautiful messages out to our listeners that and the suggestion about, you know, the pictures that show who the person is, the many phases of a person and who they are, I think I will be sharing over and over again and hoping people that are listening today take that as something very useful to do in, in, in their situations. Our situation today um, deserves a little bit of conversation. You know, COVID-19 and the coronavirus 
in a very contagious nature has resulted in some really painful experiences for people in congregate living settings. And families are thinking today about how they're going to care for their aging loved one in such a, a difficult time when they feel that they need to do the best thing for mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. And they're wondering whether they have the capability, the competence, the capacity to provide that care and to be able to offer the support. And, and I would say that as families are giving this thought that they need to realize that they're not alone. There are so many other family caregivers who are doing work like, like you, Bobby and Mike, sharing this information via your program. There are organizations out there uh, that provide care, organizations that provide a wealth of resources on the web. But I would, I would offer another story. I was listening to um, an interview the other day, and this gentleman was talking about, about his father and his father needing to uh, make a decision related to chemotherapy or not. And his father decided he wasn't going to do the chemotherapy, that he was just going to let nature take its course. His son went to him. He said, Dad, I've researched this, and I can tell you it's a really painful thing. You really should consider taking it because it's going to help with your quality of life. So his father thought about it for a second, and he says, you know, I've been thinking about this, and I think you're right. I have one more lesson to teach you all and the grandchildren, and that is how to take care of me at the end of my life. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, I think we should close the show on that story because that is awesome. Bobby always says that the greatest gift she ever got was the caregiving of my dad and that his job was to teach her. And she says that all the time. And she says it better than I just did. (laughs) (laughs) You did just fine, baby. You did just fine. Really want to thank you for being on the show. It's been an absolute joy. I'm fascinated by your stories. Thank you so much for being part of our show, Warren. Thank you, Warren. Thank you. So, wow, there was a aha moments. What stuck out to you? Well, as I mentioned to Warren, and I'll mention it here again, um, how important it is to tell a person's story. And some people maybe be able to write something beautiful about that person or maybe something funny or a challenge that they had or use the, the pictures to do it. Uh, I think that's, that's a wonderful takeaway and something that'll be very valuable to our listeners. And what I found interesting, and we've kind of talked about it not as directly as he, had, he did, uh, but Building a relationship is very important between the professional care person and the family care person. I know you had the relationship with the PA at the VA. Yeah, Jason, my friendly nurse that I, I yeah. yes, we had, we had quite a team going there. That relationship is so very important. And I've spoken on that also to build that relationship with the, with the professionals, with the doctor, with the nurses. And also he mentioned about having the conversation with the uh, uh, healthcare person to build the trust and to build that relationship. So it's just not, I'm going to be here for three hours and then I go somewhere else, that there is a connection between it. And I think that is so important. So very, very important. 
Yeah, the reference to, to Pat Adams and his wanting to have a meal with someone. You can find more information about Dr. Hebert and the Home Care Association of Louisiana on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.